Hello, and welcome back to the Speak Up Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Lively. I hope everyone is having a nice October so far. Well, this week on the podcast, I am joined with a former D1 softball All-American pitcher and current pitching coach and ESPN broadcaster, Amanda Scarborough. We'll be talking about her pitching career, transition to calling games, coaching during the pandemic, and much more. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with others. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Amanda Scarborough. Well, welcome back to the Speak Up Sports podcast. I'm Anna Lively, and this week on the podcast, I am joined with a former Texas A&M pitcher and Hall of Famer for her school, and now softball analyst Amanda Scarborough. Amanda, thanks for coming on and chatting with me today. Yeah, of course. You do such a great job, so I'm honored to be here. Thanks. I'm excited to learn from you. But before we get to what you currently do, I really want to go from the beginning. So as a young athlete, what really drew you to become a softball pitcher compared to other sports and positions? Yeah, good question. So my dad was the one that just kind of volunteered me to be a pitcher because in softball, at first you start either with T-ball or coach pitch, and then, you know, you get older and players have to pitch. And my dad was like, well, Amanda will do it. Um, and so, yeah, I just started pitching, not really knowing what I was doing, like no YouTube videos, not a lot of games on TV. Right. And we just tried to figure right. it out, um, and pitched. And then I played other positions all growing up too, but I feel like I'm most known for pitching for sure. No, that's a funny story to hear about how your dad really just like volunteered you for that position. But I guess he knew great things would come in store for you for sure. But speaking of going through the recruiting process, you always had like Texas A&M as that dream school. So can you talk about why Texas A&M interested you so much growing up and what it felt like to commit there? Yeah. So I feel like my verbal commitment was in the, in my junior year. So at that time when this is happening, I know that that's like the norm now. And it was like even earlier uh, before they changed the rules where, you know, eighth graders were committing and ninth graders and 10th graders. But when I verbally committed to A&M, this was like the beginning of all of that many years ago, where it was like unheard of to commit so early. Um, and I was getting recruited by Oklahoma, Alabama, Texas, some other schools, but one of my first official visit or unofficial visit, uh, to A&M and just loved it so much. I love that it was just an hour away and, uh, from my house and it felt like home and I love the coaching staff and totally the cliche of, you know, it just felt like home when I was mm -hmm. on campus and knew it's where I was, uh, I wanted to go. I am an only child, so I wanted to be closer to my parents. And so just being an hour away, they were able to go to pretty much all of my games home or away, uh, throughout my entire career. And that was important to me. And I loved every second of going to A&M. Yeah. That's awesome that you talked about it in your time of the recruiting process, it being later than normal, but at the same time, you still finding that spot that you really love. That was like a good medium between like still close enough for your parents to come and support you throughout your whole career. And during that career, you're, you earn multiple all American nods, including also being a big 12 co-pitcher of the year in 2007 and also helping lead your 
your squad to the World Men's College World Series. What, as you sort of like think about and reminisce about those times, what sticks out to you about your personal and team success from those days in the Aggie uniform? Oh, so much, but, um, I was really naive as a freshman. So my first game, I threw a no hitter, um, that that was the first game that I played as a freshman, our first game of the season. And I just, I remember just not really understanding what was at stake, like not really understanding how big college softball was like just the word naive comes to mind. Um, so that's probably the first thing that I think about is just how I went into as a freshman and really had no expectations. Like my parents told me like, Hey, everybody's really good in college. If you don't play, it's okay. Like we'll still support you. Like whatever your role is a pinch runner, a pinch hitter, you pitch every now and then like whatever it is, we support you hundred percent. So it ended up being that I was an everyday starter and complete opposite of that. But I remember just my parents having my back, no matter what, feeling naive. And then the next year after my freshman year, my sophomore year was like the definition of a sophomore slump. So that's what I remember from that year. And then my junior year, we made it to the world series for the first time uh, in 20 years for Texas A&M. So that was quite an accomplishment. And then my senior year, I ended up getting hurt and that was a career ending injury. So I feel like each year that I was at A&M had its own feel and vibe and story. Well, it's interesting to hear how you remember so vividly all those different highs and lows throughout your collegiate career that you, you talk about and how you said like they differ so much depending on the year, but still a lot of growing and learning in that four-year process. But yeah. after your career was over, you were inducted into the Texas A&M Hall of Fame. First off, congratulations. That's an amazing yeah. accomplishment. But what it was what was it like for you joining that elite group and hearing that you had earned that honor? Oh my gosh, I still naive, like didn't ever think something like that for me was possible. Like if you would have told me that even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. But I think what made that that year and getting inducted so so much sweeter is that I had a, a best friend from like age 10 through college that we always played together. Her name was Megan Gibson. And so we played together. We both hit, we both pitched. We both played first base. We were literally like the same player. Like when she was pitching, I was playing first base. And when she was, you know, vice versa, uh, hit right next to each other in the lineup. And so we ended up getting inducted the exact same class, the exact same year. So when I think about getting inducted in the hall of fame, I mean, I love what it means for Texas A&M softball and the, the class that we came in, but like individually or personally, it was so cool to get inducted with her, somebody that I'd shared so many memories with even before AM. Yeah, that's awesome. I bet that was so special and unique to be able to have the opportunity. As you said, somebody so close to you who played all the same positions as you getting to be there at the same time. That's always something you can look back and always have that moment of you guys being in that same class. Yeah. But speaking of post- collegiate career and pitching what was the transition like for you going from being a player to a broadcaster and can you talk about how you sort of learned how to become an analyst yeah so super interesting um you know it's just so hard to get experience and to learn to be uh, a softball analyst but I got done playing in 2008 and as I mentioned before 
I was injured, but our team made it to the world series and we play in the national championship game. And so, you know, when you're in the world series, your team's getting a lot of coverage. My story got a lot of coverage too, because I was the all American that was injured, um, and had a completely different role on the team, but our team just got a lot of attention. Um, and the year after, uh, I got done playing. So in 2009, I actually just got a random call from my now boss, Meg Aronowitz, and asked me if I would want to call a super regional. And I was like, yeah, of course. Like I would love to do that. But Anna, my first games ever that I called was a super regional between um, UCLA and Missouri. And it was at UCLA, who's like the powerhouse of softball. Mm -hmm. these national championships. And here I am like a first timer, I think 22, 23 years old, calling my first games, uh, on ESPN for that super regional. So, and, and how I came about was so cool. It just goes to show, like, you never know who's listening. You never know the opportunities that are around you. I mentioned Meg, my boss, Aronowitz, she was a game producer. So she actually produced a couple of the games that I played in and, you know, before the games, they'll talk to a couple of the key players and, um, you know, just about the team and the mm -hmm. year and the stories and all that. And so she had just kind of noticed me from being articulate in the pregame interviews and remembered that I made an impression on her and she thought I'd be good at calling games. And that was in 2009. And now here we are in 2023 and I've almost called 10 women's college world series, but it wow. all started with just, you know, not even knowing that who I was in the presence of and how she would continue to move up the, com the company at ESPN and uh, more opportunities would be with ACC network, SEC network, Longhorn network, everything within ESPN. Well, that's awesome to hear about you sharing that really origination of the story that you didn't even know would become like your future after college. It just sort of happened because of the opportunities that you were continuing to help your team as a leader in a different role mm -hmm. while they were at the Women's College World Series. But that's so fun to hear you share that growth and just that journey as well. And just you going right into it, being thrown right into a huge super regional right before the Women's College World Series. They're like, okay, have fun. Like, wow, you just yeah. dove right in right away. Our games were supposed to be on ESPNU, which is still, you know, like a linear network and still big, but not like ESPN, ESPN2, where there's more people watching. So our Super Regional is supposed to be on ESPNU the whole time, but our, our series went to game three. And so game three on like a Sunday night, and we were the only game that was still being played. Um, and so we were simulcasting on ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU, and nobody wanted to tell me during the game because they thought that I would have been nervous, you know, and I would have been. But mm -hmm. after the fact, I found that out and I was like, oh my gosh, like being 22 and hearing that was just unbelievable. That's crazy. I love that. Thanks so much for sharing. But you don't only work on broadcasting thing outside of that. You're also an online pitching coach. Can you sort of talk about what that journey has been like creating the pitching angel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, two years after I got done playing, not only was I calling a game here and there on ESPN, but, um, I coached at AM for two years. So I was a pitching coach there for two years after, uh, my career was complete. And then, you know, I just, I, I still gave like pitching lessons to young girls on the side to, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds. Um, and I just figured that I had more of a passion to do that. I wanted to work with a younger age group. Um, I was really passionate about the beginning of a career versus getting to college. And that still is awesome too. And I'm very competitive and want to win and be a college coach and like just a different form of coaching. Right. So right. I gave lessons and 
did clinics for a long time, decided I didn't want to coach in college, but I just wanted to start my own business. So, um, I just did that for a while. I wanted to create my own schedule. I wanted to work with younger pitchers and impact their families. Um, and then I came up with the idea and of, of pitching angel, because I, this only happened about three or four years ago, uh, where I actually created just a pitching brand for it. Cause being a pitcher, there's so many times where you just feel alone or like you're the only one going through mm-hmm. a, a tough challenge, a slump, the only one that's given up back-to-back home runs or walked in a run, like all these very unique things that just really weigh on a pitcher. And I just have a way I feel like to understand what pitchers are going through and communicate to them, make them feel better and make them feel not alone. So I started pitching angel and then, which didn't intend to be online, uh, courses and training, but during COVID when we were all locked down and I wasn't traveling, I just sat right here in my office and, uh, put everything that I know about pitching into these online courses in a way that other people could learn from my experiences, progressions, uh, and strategies that I had when I was a young kid that they could learn too and help them in their journey. That's awesome. And thanks for giving some insight. And I bet it's so helpful for those younger generation of pitchers who are able to relate to you at a different level because you have have been in their shoes compared to other people that might try to be coaching them so they can relate in ways that might not be relatable in other facets but then you were able to grow the audience in essence during covid and help other people that you might not have been able to before without that opportunity to do the online version Yeah. That's what I love about it. Honestly, is like, I, so I don't give lessons um, anymore and don't do as many clinics because when I was giving lessons, like a one-on-one lesson back in like 2012, 2013, all I wanted to do was be able to help more pitchers, like outside of the one that I was one-on-one with. So online with Facebook and YouTube and now TikTok and Instagram, like all that became such a great way to share as much information as possible, honestly, drills and advice and blogs and experiences and have not just one person learn from that, but thousands, but hundreds of thousands be able to learn from it. And that's what I'm just so passionate about. Just being able to help as many pitchers as I possibly can, like outside of my ESPN work, that's my other full-time job. That's awesome. I love it. Definitely keeping it busy for sure. Juggling (laughs) all those facets during the softball season. Yeah. (laughs) But speaking of pitchers, NCAA has been filled with so much elite talent recently that have played for Team USA or some that have been in the pro leagues, you know, Athletes Unlimited, which you also broadcast. You know, if you're talking about Montana Fouts, Shorty Ball, Nisha Kennedy, there's so many. But from your perspective as a former pitcher, what really sticks out to you and makes these pitchers and athletes different from the others and maybe their preparation and having so much success in their performance? Okay. I think two things. I think one owning their strengths, they know what they're really good at and they play to their strengths. They don't try to compare themselves to somebody else. Like, Oh, I need to throw a rise ball like this pitcher when they're a drop ball pitcher, or I need to throw 75 miles an hour when really their strength and what they can do is throw 64. They own their strengths. They accept who their strengths and they step into them, which makes those strengths even better. And the second thing is that they just continue to grow. They don't rest on who they were last year, who they were, you know, on their freshman year as an all American, like every single year, they're pushing to get a little bit better. They're not pushing just to be the same as they were last year because they know that that won't be good enough this upcoming year. They know that there will be a scattering report on them. So they're just finding the little tiny ways to grow and get better and not just rest on what they did the year before. Well, that's such great advice. (laughs) 
Love that for sure. And I really like that you focused on sort of like the positives and like what they're really good at to like excel in that asset and instead of trying to really like change who they are to fit a mold or, or whatnot to sort of still differentiate themselves and just continue to excel with what they can bring to the table that is going to help their team the most in the end. Exactly. Yeah, well, I have to ask in terms of the 2024 NCAA softball season, I know it's going to be a little bit different landscape with some elite pitchers who have graduated college, but also with Jordy Ball making that huge transfer from Oklahoma to Nebraska, which really surprised so many, but it's so exciting to see what she can do in that program. But what team do you think is going to make that big leap and have a chance to really contend for a national title? Okay. Well, the minute that Nebraska got Jordy Ball, they instantly become a contender. And they were a good team last year, too. I don't want to act like, you know, they're just like bottom mm -hmm. of the barrel. They were they were a team that had gotten better the past couple of years, especially. And I love their head coach, Rhonda Ravel. And now that Jordy's there, by the way, she just seems like she's glowing. Like she seems so happy to be back home. And I just have a feeling that she's really gonna thrive this year. Um, I think that another team to watch out for is Florida. I think that Tim Walton has shaken some things up with his coaching staff, has a really good recruiting class, bought, brought in some transfers. I think that they'll be really strong. And then I have to say, too, I think Texas A&M is going to continue to get better as well. You know, they hopped in the rankings, were ranked most of last year in the top 25. And mm -hmm. uh, Trisha Ford, it was her first year last year. I think that they're going to continue to get better this year and take another step forward um, under her. So I'm excited about them, too. But um, those are probably the ones that come top of mind. That's not mm -hmm. to say that, you know, there aren't any, there isn't anybody else, but um, it's going to be hard to keep up with Oklahoma. That's what everybody else is trying to do. Honestly, Anna. Right. Yeah. I couldn't really agree more with you. I think those three are great teams that really have a chance to make a leap or to surprise some people, maybe be some sleepers throughout the season. But then when it comes championship time, you know, tournament time, <laughs> they're going to really show up. So I'm going to be excited to watch that too. But as you said, Oklahoma, they've been pretty hard to figure out even how to beat in general. So it's going to be interesting for us to watch and see if anybody can find a way to dethrone that, that incredible program that they have over there. Oh my goodness. They're just so good with, I mean, the level of excellence that it takes like on the field, off the field, in the games, at practice, like to, to keep that high level of excellence for so long. I mean, you just, and it's like any sport, NBA, WNBA, major league baseball, like it's hard to stay at the top for that long, no matter what sport you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, so for them, I mean, we really have to give them a lot of credit for what they've done. It is not easy at all to play with the target on their, on their back all the time and still continue to win and be great. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, they, they're the epitome of knowing how to play under pressure, or they might even call it not pressure. You know, they just know yeah. how to do it in the big moments. So it's going to be exciting to watch and see if anybody can come close to taking down the juggernaut that they have over there in their program. <laughs> but Amanda, what I always do to finish off the podcast is what I call my favorite five questions. So first off, what's one piece of advice you would give to the next generation? Um 
to say yes as many times as you can about something that you're passionate about. That's not to say yes to everything, but if you're passionate about it, if an opportunity comes your way, say yes to it because you never know where one yes will lead to another future bigger yes. Ooh, that's a really good one. Totally going to take that advice for myself for sure. <laughs> All right. It's easy, next... to want to say, it's easy to want to say no, but keep mm. saying yes and put yourself out there and take on challenges and get uncomfortable. It's worth it. If it's something that you want to do, it's not worth it. If it's not something that you don't want to do event, you know, if you're not passionate right. about it, but keep saying yes. Absolutely. All right. The next one is to give a shout out to someone who's made an impact on your life. Ooh, um, I would shout out Renee Bialis, my high school softball coach. I loved playing for her and I don't feel like she gets enough credit. Like, of course, my mom and my dad, my pitching coach, but I loved my high school experience of Magnolia high school with Renee Bialis and like, she does not get enough credit. So shout out to coach B. Awesome. There we go for the high school coach really setting that great standard, helping you get to college, but I know you're generally somebody that does so many different things, but if you had an off day and you could plan your ideal day, how would you want to spend it? Mm, I would want to go get a wake up a little bit later, uh, go get a great coffee, uh, be outside, hang out with my dogs and my husband, probably like watch some sort of show on Netflix, probably you know, two, three, four of that show and just relax. Um, and then go out for a good dinner. I love good food. And I'm not just talking like your average place. Like I want a good meal where it's just like, as I'm sitting at the table, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. I love this place. So a good dinner and then go to bed early. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like a really fun and relaxing day. But since you brought up food, I have to ask you like, what is your like favorite, really good meal? That would be your go-to probably a really good steak, like a steak and some sort of like a gratin potato or mac and cheese, like something that's like a little bit naughty on the side, you know, like not as healthy as like a sauteed spinach or green beans or something, but like something like that. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a Southern girl. So meat and potatoes are always going to make me pretty happy. And I love a good pasta too. Good homemade pasta. Ooh, that sounds good for sure. I can agree that that would be a meal. I would be like, I'd like that too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. What sport would you play if you didn't play softball? I would want to play volleyball. I love volleyball. Oh my gosh. I wish I was a little bit taller. Like I would have played a little bit longer. I played in middle school, my freshman year of high school and I loved it. But then I was like, okay, I don't want to get hurt for softball and ruin all those chances. But I love volleyball so, so much and pickleball too. Ooh, <laughs> I think volleyball is fun for sure. I enjoy watching it and pickleball something that's definitely a growing sport. That's like getting the United States athletes excited for something. So it is fun to yes. see that new sport. Yes. <laughs> All right. Last, but certainly not least, if you had a superpower that can make the world better, what would you want it to be and why? Mm. Gosh, these are such great questions. Um, my superpower would be to give everybody three wishes and you can make them whatever three wishes that you want, you know, like that way it's unique to you and whatever it is that you want and you can make the world better, just something personal, your family, whatever it is, but whatever it is that you want, you get those three wishes in your life. And I am able to like grant them to everybody. 
That sounds like a good one. Ooh, that sounds like really good. I've never heard something like that, but like, I would totally be up for that one. Like that is great. <laughs> yeah. I want it. I want everybody to have what they want. You know, mm -hmm. like I don't want to tell people what to do. Like I want people to get what they want and whatever they need in their life and their moment. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Thank you so much, Amanda, for jumping on the podcast, sharing your journey as a pitcher, now a broadcaster and coach and so much more. And I'm excited to hear you commentate on upcoming softball seasons and see what happens when it comes to February. Yeah, I know. Can it get here already? Like, I just need to <laughs> want to close my eyes and have it be here. I'm tired of waiting already, but thanks for having me and keep up the great work. Uh -huh.